Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, Europe agreed a few weeks back on a fiscal stimulus package that will see grants and loans given to countries in Europe most in need from the ravages of the coronavirus. Now, grants have been issued before, but not on this scale. And normally, it's loans given to countries with strong stipulations around spending and government debt. In short, here's some money. Now, apply austerity and don't forget to pay that money back. But this is hardly the time for that sort of thinking. So, could this be the first step in a new Europe? And with Britain gone, could a unified Euro economy give a much more vibrant, self-sufficient Europe at a time when trade on the global scale seems a little problematic? We'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So, you know what, Steve? I wondered whether Europe would failed to agree on further stimulus measures after the uh, the coronavirus and whether that would prompt countries like Italy to uh, push to leave the EU. In fact, I'm sure we've, we've spoken about this. And could that mean this is the end of the, the whole European experiment? But of course, now we know the reverse has happened. EU leaders have agreed to a 750 billion euro recovery plan that will see grants, not loans, grants issued where it's needed. This is... Uh, this is quite a turnaround for the EU, isn't it? That actually, the, you know, all countries have agreed that money needs to go where it's needed within the EU rather than just looking after themselves. It is. I mean, particularly since, uh, you know, I think originally the, the EU proposal was something like a 450 or 500 billion to be uh, grants and to the balance to be loans. It was driven down, but there was still a grand component mm. to it. And that's a complete turnaround from the mentality that the EU has been founded upon, unfortunately, uh, that uh, you should reduce the level of government debt at all possible costs and uh, and uh, any any money created should involve loans not grants i'm delighted to see that they've actually been pushed into it and this is this is a common syndrome that i've certainly saw in the financial crisis and we're seeing again now they follow the textbooks until events cause them to panic and when they panic they do the right thing rather than what the textbook tells them and yet you know uh, even in normal times, there's there's only 10 countries which are net contributors to the budget of the EU. 18 receive more than they put in. Um, so you could argue, you know, that they that the focus has been helping the region as a whole grow. So Poland, for example, received more back than the UK put in. Uh, and and if we look at uh, countries like Poland, its GDP has gone from seventeen hundred dollars uh, per capita in nineteen ninety to fifteen thousand in two thousand and eighteen. Hungary has seen pretty much the same rate of growth. It was happening in Greece as well until the two thousand and eight financial crisis, and we know what a disaster that's been for for Greece. But I mean, generally, the idea is not you know everyone is not taking out of the EU budget what they're putting in. There are net contributors and net recipients. And so that's a bit like, you know, the, the, this whole grant issue, isn't it? It's the same thing. It's trying to, they are trying to raise the, you know, raise the, the wealth of those poorer nations and have been all along. I said that I think a lot of the, the, the Polish and, and um, 
and Hungarian predates uh, joint. Of course, they haven't got the euro yet, so mm. they're not part of the yeah. European Monetary Union, um, and they're being enticed in to some extent by by the developments that um, uh, you know access to the um, letting firms set up production facilities in Hungary and Poland and export back to the rest of the European Union under the free trade arrangements. They've um, those are the benefits. Plus, also finally investing and industrialising properly, rather than with the nonsense that happened under the the Soviet period. And I've seen I've seen that firsthand. Um, well, that's a benefit. So, I mean, you're saying whether yeah, it's the euro or not, but being through membership that that yeah. has helped them. And and countries like Britain has has you know even though it's a uh, been paying into the EU, it's been benefiting from uh, greater trade with these countries. So. Uh, uh, you know, it, uh, our exports to Poland, a chunk of which is cars, has gone from 200 million a year up to 700 million a year from the, since the start of the century. So we may be a net contributor of about 10 billion euros, but we are seeing some payback from that, aren't well, we? Well, I think it's, it's actually independent. I mean, again, the, the the European Union doesn't need pounds to create euros. And uh, mm. this this is the whole problem. The, the, in my, my objection to the European Union wasn't um, about forming a United States of Europe. I think in, in its own way, that was a very sensible objective. If you look at uh, Europe's attitude towards America and ultimately towards China as well, uh, having this huge continental rivals, which would generate economies of scale that Europe couldn't do if it remained fragmented. So it was a reason to unite. The mistake was not having European treasury and not you know, taxing at a European level and, and spending at a European level. And the, what's happened with the coronavirus, as you point out, is that the need to create uh, this, this capacity to fight the virus at the supranational level, the European continental level, has mean they're finally saying, let's not tie all money creation to bonds that have to be sold to the private sector, which has been the situation under the Maastricht Treaty. So this is now saying, yes, we'll use the EU's potential, the European Central Bank's potential to create money like a national bank, to create something of the order of 300, 350 billion uh, euros worth of grant money uh, for you to spend out. Uh, and we're not going to add that to your um, notional government debt and then penalise you for exceeding the 60% level. So it's in a way, it's a breach of the Maastricht Treaty that I never expected to see. And that's why I think it's a damn good thing. They still expect it to be paid back, of course. You know, they're saying gay repayments are going to start. The grants paid back or no, the, the, or no, the, loans, the loans paid, paid back. back? So the, you know, the, the expectation yeah. is that the ECB will will reduce their balance sheet and that's all going to start in 2028 so some of them quite short-term bonds you've got a you know short-term maturity uh, but 350 billion is saying we're just going to create the money and put it in your bank accounts and spend it yeah perhaps and, and mm. that's what you need to do and that's one reason this is what's been happening with the uk to some extent with australia with america as well uh given the fact that that you know you needed a, a massive public sector response to the virus you're not going to nobody's going to make a profit out of um uh, out of uh, out of uh, public health to control the virus, so you had to have the state creating the money and then spending it very rapidly. And for countries that had their own currency and their own treasury, that was feasible straight away. And what the Bank of England did is say, we will directly buy the bonds issued by the treasury to finance fighting the coronavirus. Now, the government itself has stuffed up completely on that particular task, but the funding has been done correctly. And the European Union, by agreeing to grants as well as loans as part of the scheme, has done the same thing. And that 
you know, there is some slim possibility coming out of that is maybe you might finally see a drift towards a genuine United States of Europe uh, where mm. you would have to have a European Treasury as well as a European Central Bank and that $350 billion of grants are like a first tentative step towards that role for a European Treasury. Well, there is some talk, more talk about that because, you know, that was we've, we've talked before, haven't we? But And it's fairly obvious. I remember thinking this myself before I was really that interested in economics when I was just a, uh, a young lad that it, the whole thing did seem like a bit of a, a half-pregnant cow in that, you know, how can you... Mm. Uh, how can you have a monetary union without uh, a Europe-wide fiscal policy? And maybe we are heading towards that because there is talk now about, well, you know, an EU tax. I can imagine there's lots of people in Britain as would be saying, oh, thank God we got out of that. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you, uh, if you know, imagine it's not going to go down well in Sunderland to suddenly find that they're paying a tax to the EU. But a, a European-wide tax... I don't know, on top of local local, local taxes. I mean, it, it is a, a, a big move to a, a, a stronger fiscal union and, uh, and maybe it would work. Well, the part that matters, mate, is actually the government spending at the top level mm. and the government agreeing that it should do that. And look, one thing we'll have to talk through, I've actually just finished writing a mathematical model of monetary theory and I want to want to talk that one through as well as um, yeah. uh, have, a, have a podcast, uh, have a post on it. But if but you accept your monetary theory, then, yeah, you don't have to worry too much about taxation. It's, it's how the money exactly. is Exactly. It's the spending that matters rather than the taxation. And you need a, an avenue through, through which it proceeds. And in that sense, the $350 billion of grants, I think it is, for the um, fighting the coronavirus at the ECB level is the first real instance of, 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 of uh, you know, continent building rather than nation building uh, because what the EU has really done is destroy nations with the obsession on uh, you know, not having national treasuries anymore. That was the worst mistake that was made in forming the European Union. And this, in some extent, is unwinding that in the only way that it can unwind when you have a single currency, and that's by having money creation at the level of the European Central Bank and effectively a European treasury. So the role of taxation then becomes one of trying to manage income discrepancy, doesn't it? So the EU and tax... In, and inflationary pressures, yeah. But at the moment, of course, the last thing you're going to see is inflation. Yeah. Oh, we've got a collapse so in economic go, 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 activity. Probably the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, if, you, if, if the intent was to say, well, okay, we are going to tax people uh, more in Germany, for example, to cool the German economy down while we're going to tax people less in Poland. Uh, I mean, that makes maybe makes economic sense, but it politically is a nightmare for the German government to see that happen. Well, if, if that doesn't happen in America. I mean, if you, what you have in America is, I mean, America is a mess of, of bad tax regimes. I, I know that mm. uh, detail. But if you go to a country which doesn't, which has a more sensible uh, taxation system, Australia doesn't have different tax rates for different countries, different states. It's the same tax regime across the entire uh, continent. Uh, the amount of tax being paid will vary given income distribution right. between the countries. Yeah. But the tax is uniform. And, and the, to some extent, the spending is trying to make up for the differences rather than So tax people rates. in Poland would be paying less tax because they're earning less, basically. So that yeah, and, and, and getting money paid spent on them uh, as well, more money than spent in Germany um, uh, because of different levels of industrialization. So it's more the spending level. But this, to me, the, it was a remarkable change. I didn't think the Europeans could pull it off. And it shows how it really takes a, you know, stop laughing, this is serious, 
um, issue like coronavirus, like the global financial crisis beforehand, before they throw the textbooks out and start to work out what the hell they can do mm. to address the issue. And they needed that money. You know, you've got to be paying for contract cases. You've got to be paying for uh, medical equipment. Uh, you have to be giving people money so that they can pay their rent and pay their mortgage without being evicted in the middle of, of a of a pandemic because the last thing you want is people on the streets during a pandemic. Uh, so they, they, the necessity was the mother of sensibility. So how that money is uh, is is chalked out is is a combination of uh, the population of the country, obviously makes sense, the GDP mm-hmm. and uh, unemployment. So there's the interesting one. So countries with high unemployment as a result of this are going to be able to get uh, a, a, a bigger slice of the cake. So is that a good measure? If you're looking at, you know, if, if, if Europe as a whole is trying to uh, uh, develop a union, this fiscal union where it's putting money where it's needed, is unemployment basic? Obviously, the size of the country is important, but is, it, uh, is unemployment the best top line measure to, to how you divvy up the cake? Well, it's probably the best. It's not the only. But this again, this is rather inconsistent, rather consistent with the arguments of modern monetary theory for a job guarantee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, trying to you're seeing your targets. What is your policy target? It's not to have involuntary unemployment. So targeting this in, in terms of the employment rate is, is is a nod in that direction. If not, if not fully implementing that policy. So if they did go down this road, and for example, Poland. You know, wealth in Poland grew. We saw the, an improvement in the standard of living in Poland. Can that happen without people in Germany compromising their lifestyle? Oh, it can because you've, you've, you know, you, development is not a zero sum game. Mm. Uh, if you if you have uh, you know uh, improving our capacity to exploit the resources of the planet, or uh, we have to be doing the future. Uh, reducing our damage on the planet. We can all do that at once. Um, again, to me, I can't help bringing the context back to climate change and, uh, and you know, given the, given the coronavirus impact as well, we would want that money to be used to try to dramatically reduce the amount of carbon we pump out as part of producing the energy, um, that we, we need to maintain a, an advanced industrial society. And also, uh, we, we, you know, I think we're we're going to have to go backwards in 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 terms of how much we consume. We're consuming too much of the planet, um, so you're going to be you know trying to share that that burden of effectively rationing um, at the European level rather than individual state level. So, um, and on that, which it, which it, part of the world do you think is if you had uh, if we did have United States of Europe, uh, which part of the world do you think is probably going to tackle climate change the most? Is it going to be Europe? Is it going to be Asia? Or is it going to be America? I suspect it's going I'm to be Europe. I'm still backing China. No, no one okay. back China. I mean, Europe, Europe will do it politically, but I think China is actually ahead. Um, even, even though um, you know, China is massively dependent upon coal power, uh, bear in mind, we, we might be talking very differently next week if the, if the uh, Three Gorges Dam collapses and 15% of China's manufacturing capacity disappears underwater. Um, but uh, China is fully... That could change a few things, but uh, but China is probably pushing more for uh, decarbonising its its economy mm. than has happened even in Europe. Europe would be number two. America is, of course, going to be the last one, uh, the last one jumping onto the sensible boat. 
So, but within this, the, the, these grants that are being issued, uh, it, it, there is a view as well as part of it. It's got to be used on greener initiatives. So, if you're rebuilding, you've got to rebuild with a with more of a, a green focus. So that's that's already there. Look, the EU has been criticised, and we've both done it for being overly bureaucratic, which is it's an easy target. And yet, they've pulled together this recovery plan. Individual nations managing to try and contain the impact of COVID nineteen. We look at the United States. I mean, they talk about the United States of Europe. Uh, but the United States of America is a disaster on all fronts, isn't it? I mean, the, the United States of Europe seems a lot more united than the disunited States of America right now. It does. I mean, it, oh, <laughs> I don't know about you. I just want to get on the other side of November as soon as bloody possible. Mm. Um, Unless it's pushed back. Knows with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, normally four months. I mean, it's, it's not an Im- immense amount of time, but it feels like an eternity now because of the impact of coronavirus. And of course, it is we're dealing with, with, an, exp- with, a, with an exponential growth process of a pathogen for the human species. Mm. So, um, but yes, in terms of how it's responded, uh, even as bad as bureaucracy can be, bureaucracy is much better than having a moron in charge of your economy. <laughs> exactly. And they are, they are making some headway. So I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, do you think it's going to stick? Can you actually imagine that we are going to see some sort of fiscal union? Do you think it's all talk or do you think this is the start of uh, the, the next phase? They, they, you know, they are talking about it being the next generation EU. I mean, could, could this be the turning point? It could happen. I mean, I've always thought the EU would fall apart. Mm. Um, because the impact of it on countries like Italy has been so damaging over time that ultimately uh, they'd make a unilateral decision to bring in their own currency and pull out of the European uh, ECB. Uh, but but this is a possibility that might go in the opposite direction and say, okay, we've got to um, bring about a, a European treasury and a European capacity to create uh, money for the, for the European economy and the pressure to do that because of, first of all, the coronavirus and then global warming could be so enormous yeah. uh, that that overcomes the national uh, resistance. So, you know, I... I and I'm, the logic's I'm, there, I'm, isn't it? It makes, it makes a great deal of sense. First of all, you've got uh, 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 shorter production lines. You, you know, the, the geography means that you are producing stuff for your, uh, for your own regional economy. And then you are helping grow that economy where it's needed, so you're you're increasing you're increasing local demand. Yeah, it, it does make sense. It's just that it, it it never seemed that the national rivalries could be overcome. And in, in some ways, we've got a we've got a second bunch of Nazis, uh, the coronavirus first, and the and the and the uh, climate change afterwards. Enemies we can unite against mm. unite us. So that's that's a possible effect that's going on here, and it could be maintained. Uh, I'll still expect a bit of scepticism because, as you said, the bureaucracy of, of Brussels is an easy target, but it's also a damn yeah. big one. So to have them reacting sensibly and abandoning one of the stupid concepts they you know, nailed their mast to of, of uh, governments trying to run a surplus um, – there's there's yeah, hope that's changing and it's saying you know and maybe the people will change as well and the thought will change during if you look at uh, during this pandemic we've seen the u.s dollar fall quite a bit whilst the euro has risen the euro is now approaching a dollar 20 u.s dollar 120 mm. it's been around a dollar 10 for a long time and it doesn't seem like a lot from a dollar 10 to a dollar 20 but it is in in terms of, of currencies it makes a significant difference it's the sharpest rise ever since this recovery plan has been agreed. So imagine if the EU did really get its act together. I mean, could it become 
a second reserve currency? Could we find, for example, oil is traded in euros and, uh, you know, that, uh, I mean, that, that could change the fortunes of Europe, couldn't it? If, if there was such demand for euros, more than there is a demand for the US dollar, how would that change the situation for Europe? I don't want to see, but please, mate. <laughs> Having any national currency as the international reserve currency is a mistake. Uh, no matter which country does it. So I'd rather see that being an impetus to bring about the bank core, um, you know, and, and go beyond just the fact that Europe's getting together to design something sensible to get a global response. It's something sensible as well. Because which we makes are perfect to- sense, but it's never talked about, is it? No one ever yeah, mentions. Well, it's it. The Russians and Chinese have been talking about it for some time, uh, you know, somewhat behind closed doors, and they've had meetings with the Europeans about it as well. So there's some there's some possibility that this could happen. But certainly weakening the Americans is an essential step to getting there because the American imperialist attitude towards having the American dollar as the international uh, exchange, that's they've got to lose that fight. And so I wouldn't say this is going to necessarily mean that the European uh, euro takes over, but if it strengthens the idea of, pulling together a basket of commodities and breaking away from the American dollar dominance. That's a good so, thing. So uh, any strength in Europe, the, the growth in the European economy, you think would be at the expense of uh, the United States? Oh, the Uni- well, you saw the United States figures for GDP, 32.9% fall. I mean, uh, they've mishandled yep. everything. They've got, the, they've got the world's worst infection rate for the coronavirus and the world's worst economic impact from it. Um, the argument was that if you if you lock a country down, you'll be the country that suffers the most. The country that's been most absurd about it, um, not even having a strategy like like Sweden's strategy, you know, contrarian strategy, has got the worst of both worlds. So uh, yeah, this is it's it's a major shift point in um, in in the history of capitalism right now. And yet, you know, here we were not so long ago, just a, cu- a couple of months ago, saying, ah, Europe's finished, Europe's over. They, they do one, one good deed. And now we're saying, well, more now this could be the birth of a new Europe, the United States of Europe at long last. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, it's quite a shift around. <laughs> in, in attitude no, from I'm, you and I'm, from I'm me still, and from still, a lot of people. Still, I'm, 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 still, I'm still skeptical. I'm wait and see what happens next. But like one thing we have to acknowledge is that uh, the, the, the visibility of modern monetary theory is actually having an impact here yeah. uh, because I think it's weakening the belief that governments should run, uh, you know, a balanced budget. And it, it must be seeping into the, into the European consciousness as well, partially behind this argument to say let's have grants rather than loans. So, you know, I've got to take my hat off to Stephanie Kelton and Randy Ray and Bill Mitchell and Warren Mosler over this, and, and then there's many supporters uh, because they do seem to have shifted the ideology or the, the mentality over what government spending should be. And maybe that is something that lies behind the um, the uh, decision the Europeans made to have those grants rather than just loans. Yeah, but it, it, but it's they're talking grants to. My understanding is it's it's not still not modern monetary theory as such. It's still the the difference between grants and loans is the the difference between. A country getting a grant versus a, a, a government having to pay that uh, that grant back, but still the EU collectively will have to pay back. The, the ECB will issue a uh, issue a bond. That bond will be used to pay for that grant, which is then given to Italy or to to wherever. But the expectation, as I understand mm-hmm. it, is that the ECB will still want to uh, reduce their balance sheet 
when those bonds reach maturity. So the ECB might buy those bonds. I mean, I'm not even sure it necessarily has to be the ECB buying the bonds, but those bonds will reach maturity and, and will have to be paid back at some point. That's my understanding. So that's not really modern monetary theory, is well, it? Well, like we should ever talk about this because, as, as you mentioned earlier, I've, I've just done a model of Minsky of modern monetary theory, the whole financial side of things. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd need to actually sit down and do some double entry bookkeeping to probably answer that question. It, if, if the bonds are created and allowed to go to maturity and then expire, um, then that isn't, you know, it gets rid of them without needing to pay them back. Um, just, yeah, I'm, I'm, but it's certainly the, having grants rather than loans. That's the major, the major change yeah. that I see out of this and policy. And quite a chunk of it as well, I guess. You know, and once it started, I guess, uh, hmm. once they go down that road. So, uh, so final question on all of this then. Has Britain, has, uh, well, two questions really. It only works if, if you're with the euro, doesn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, it's it becomes a it then becomes a uh, you know the, the full union of Europe, which is a uh, which is the euro and also the, the the fiscal policy that's 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 sitting behind it. You can't really do this in countries that aren't part of the euro, or can you? No, you can't. No, you can't. I mean, it's, it's something which said we're creating euros. And we're not requiring that to be backed up by governments borrowing from the private uh, by issuing bonds under the private uh, the private uh, uh, financial sector. So um, it, it it is it is it's a major shift. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got you've got to have the currency as well as the treasury, uh, the treasury as well as the central bank. And this is the first step towards something which might even resemble a European treasury. So, yeah, it's 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 taken me by surprise that they reached that. I thought they'd fail. Um, but it shows that the strength of the ideology, the Maastricht ideology, the uh, the auto-liberal ideology is weakening. And yeah. that's a damn good thing for the potential for Europe to finally become the United States of Europe. Right. And how does Britain sit sitting outside the United States of Europe? I mean, you'd assume that the, the whole European economy will be somewhat stronger. Uh, and but also, I would imagine also quite protective. If the if the whole idea is well, let's grow our own economy, let's uh, let's 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 build our own domestic trade, they could be put. You know, keeping the barriers up, Britain could not be part. You know, might not be part of that, and uh, and, and not seeing the GDP growth that perhaps they're seeing across the whole of Europe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is an interesting, ironic point. I, you know, I voted in favour of Brexit, not because I thought it was good for UK, but because I thought it was a, a way of kicking the shins of Brussels and saying, unless you do something to bring about a, a genuine monetary union with a treasury and so on, uh, you're, you, you're, you know, diminishing Europe rather than growing it. And since I don't expect you to ever bring about that treasury, I think you should fall apart and go back to national currencies. Well, this is actually a jump in the opposite political direction, mm. which has taken me by surprise. So, um, so maybe answer they the might question though: is, is, Britain, is Britain worse off if, if we get a United States of Europe? It could and Britain be. Isn't part if, of it. If, if Europe, if, if Europe pulls us off properly and and gets to the stage where it can actually be, a, you know, a, 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 a United States that actually has runs a regular deficit and doesn't freak out about uh, having to run a surplus. Um, then yes, it could be a functional economy, and Europe, Europe, the UK could miss out on that. Right. So I'm loving this. I'm loving this, Steve. This is so good. <laughs> and so, so let me ask this final question then. So Britain made a mistake leaving the EU, did it? It made a mis- well, it made a mi- mistakes in in, hi- in in hindsight, and not the same mistakes in foresight. Um, 
Britain was never part of the. It was always the pound, of course. Mm. So Britain was never part of the European. Oh, there's, so so there's the, the thing. I mean, that, that, would, uh, that, that would it would be a big step, wouldn't it? Because it goes from yeah. saying, "Well, okay, oh, do we stay in the EU or do we not?" And if we stay in the EU, do we do we become part of the euro? And uh, at the time, no one would have. I wouldn't have voted for that. I, v- I voted to stay in the EU because I thought we wanted to be part of a trading bloc. I was also concerned about the Irish border, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have wanted us to be uh, in the euro. But now, you know, you're looking and saying, well, if it's a, 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 if mm. it is a full fiscal union, then yeah. uh, and it gives it, us uh, it, this part of the world the strength, it, it, then why not? History, uh, you can't predict history. <laughs> but that's just <laughs> Put it a that shift way. in thinking. And isn't this it? is a. But, but still, I mean, I'm still skeptical. If, if, if we get past the coronavirus crisis, then I can see a shift back to that same European mentality. The one thing that could be, be a difference is if modern monetary theory thinking makes proper penetration and people realize the absurdity of rules like the Maastricht Treaty, then you might see them abolishing that uh, rather than the other consequence, which would be abolishing the euro. Well, one thing that certainly has happened this year, isn't it? The modern monetary theory is being talked about. You know, it's... Uh, oh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's there in the lexicon and uh, being discussed by the intelligentsia, not just us. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know maybe it is making headway. All right, well, it, interesting stuff. Uh, United States of Europe. I mean, if it was to happen, it could happen quite quickly. I suspect. Although nothing ever happens too mm. quickly in the EU, but no, it- not in Europe. No, not in Europe. So. <laughs> Right. And in crisis mode, people come together in ways they never would have done beforehand. Coronavirus is the first crisis, and the next one is climate change. Right, but coronavirus isn't going away in a hurry. I mean, another, another no, year of this no, it'll could be, be there for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah, so and that could really, you know, so that agenda could move on very quickly in that two years. Uh, all right, yeah. we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk again, Steve. Catch you next time. Okay, mate. Bye. If you're not a regular follower of this podcast, then you'll be wondering. Steve and I agree on almost everything. One thing we do disagree on is whether Britain should have uh, left the EU or not. But I never advocated that they should uh, join the euro. But maybe it is an all or nothing thing. We'll see how it all pans out as uh, the year progresses. That's it for the Debunking Economics podcast for this week. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. We're back again next week. Thanks for listening. 